For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. We have so many guests on this show making a difference in our lives, making a difference all around the world with the expertise that they bring. And yet so many of you are reaching out to me saying, you want more. It's not enough just what we're putting on these podcast episodes for you. And so I am here to extend a very warm welcome to you to our Difference Maker community where you can join for as little as $5 a month to get all this extra content out the gate, you're going to get 30 plus minisodes of exclusive content not available for the regular podcast listeners and an exclusive mini-sode every month. And you'll get exclusive voting power to help us pick podcast topics and more. And that's with our changers tier. There's three different main tiers and then an extra uh, larger tier. But whatever tier that you join at, you will be included in this extra content And I know that many of you are wanting to go a little bit deeper. And so even though it gets a little wild in there sometimes because of how deep we go, I want you to join us there. This extra content is very special. It means a great deal to me to be a part of this community with you. And I would love to just exchange uh, ideas or perspectives that you have around these different episodes. And that's the place where we do it. So please show up to our Difference Maker community. Give us $5 out of your pocket every month. And I think that you'll have a lot of fun in there because we do. And I would love for you to join us. So go to patreon.com slash a world of difference to join us there. Welcome to the World of Difference podcast. I'm your hostess, Lori Adams-Brown, and you are listening to episode 29. Before we get into today's episode, I felt it was important to address some of the information that has come out more clearly around Robbie Zacharias and his ministry regarding some of the abuse and predatory behavior that happened there um, by him and also known by others who were covering it up. And I just think it's important to sort of pause in our series on women in the church at the moment, recognizing that, you know, even around the world, this type of thing is, is being felt. And just also grieving and lamenting the fact that it's honestly not surprising for a lot of us because we've heard of these things before. Also recognizing that it's because it's not isolated and the only time this type of thing has happened that we're having to really take a hard look at the systems in the church and in Christian nonprofits that that actually allow and condone and ignore this type of behavior. And these aren't hard things to talk about and um, if that is something that's, that's triggering for you and you need to even step away or pause this podcast at the moment, that's totally fine um, because there's a lot of pain that people carry 
women in particular in the church are carrying as a result of spiritual and physical and sexual abuse and emotional abuse. Um, I just wanted to say that we do have Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger coming on the podcast next week. I've already done the interview, but I'm still in the editing phase with it. And they will be talking to us about this issue with their new book, A Church Called Tove. And in the meantime, I just wanted to say that if you are in a church or in a Christian nonprofit in a space where questioning is a sign of disloyalty, that is a huge red flag. Um, And also just to remember that people in these church spaces and in these Christian nonprofits that are being abused, it's usually not everyone. And that can make it very difficult at times to wonder if, if you're really seeing what you're seeing or if you're really experiencing what you're experiencing because it's it's not everyone and so just to know if you are experiencing that that uh, you're not alone and there are resources that can help and um, there are Christian counselors that can help you walk through that um, and also just to get wisdom on your situation but it's it's not okay to stay in a toxic church or a Christian nonprofit environment if um, you know, if it really is damaging you to that extent. And if you are a person that is seeing things, I would just encourage you to read Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger's book, A Church Called Tove. And uh, there are many resources coming out right now about how we often are complicit in these scenarios. And um, if you are a leader in a church space or you're on an elder board or um, if you're, you know, a director of any kind in a church and you're seeing something, just encourage you to to lean into these resources because our choices matter for us, for for many women in the church who have dealt with abuse. And until we become a part of the solution, we're going to continue to see these types of things happen. But today, our guest on the show is going to talk about a few things that are relevant to this conversation, mainly the Billy Graham rule and some other things that even when they're in place, they, they haven't traditionally stopped this kind of behavior and this type of abuse. So uh, in the meantime, I'm prayerful for all the women in the church right now who are feeling this and all the men who are seeing it and want to be a part of the solution. Our guest on today's show is Anna Morgan. Anna lives in Chicago, where she is the executive pastor at City Church Chicago. She has been the executive pastor there for the past five years, but she also has a background in worship and creative ministries. She basically has been working in the church pastoral ministry for over 20 years, and she is a leadership coach and trainer. She has been working to develop local church leaders around the U.S. as well as in Australia, and she not only has a master's degree in global leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary, but she's also currently working on her doctorate at Fuller, and her research is in the development of female leaders in local churches. She has a lot to share with us today. I myself have had a couple of calls with her where we've discussed some you know, different um, aspects of women in leadership related to the research she's done. She's written some papers that have been really helpful to me to work through some different options out there. And um, Anna's also married to John Morgan uh, for the past 14 years, and they have three adult daughters. So she has a lot of wisdom, leadership experience to share with us today. And I hope you will join me in welcoming to the show, Anna Morgan. Thank <laughs> you.
Hi, Anna. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So good to be here with you. Oh, man. It's um, ever since we first had a chance to talk about some of these women issues, I've been really excited about having you on the show because I love it when people like you have experience as a woman pastor in the church, but you're also studying, um, you know, at Fuller and you're learning a lot of research about how to help. And so I think both of those coming together are really important in your voice. And so I wanted to make sure people got to hear from your wisdom and your experience today. So um, I, I'd just love for you to give an introduction to my listeners about who you are, a little bit about your background and your family and, and what you're currently doing. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Anna Morgan, and currently I'm on the pastoral staff at City Church Chicago, church in downtown Chicago, and i uh, been married almost 15 years now to John Morgan. Um, we've got three grown children, had our first grandchild this year. Um, so my journey has been an interesting one, I think. I felt called to do ministry probably as a teenager, grew up in a Christian home. My parents were lay ministers in our church, and I got really involved in youth ministry right off the bat. And I wound up marrying a young man, and we took our first ministry position when I was 20, in actually in the suburbs of Chicago here, and this is going back uh, 1999, in uh, youth ministry. And it was great. It was awesome. Things were really dynamic. And I was always a little bit uh, reserved, quiet, kind of in the background, but I had a passion and a heart to do ministry. I was married to a man who was very charismatic and gifted communicator, gifted musician, all of those things. So we'd been in ministry together and I was really functioning as a support to him, uh, but very much a passionate, bought in, involved support. And he died in a car accident that we were in two years into our marriage and ministry journey. And I, at the time, I didn't feel any less called. And so I just, um, my pastors made space for me basically to grieve and continue doing ministry. But at that point, probably I started getting my feet wet with what it was like to carry the load of ministry for myself and make the hard calls have the hard conversations that I'd been kind of buffered from probably in ministry. And I had transitioned to focusing more on creative ministries at that time. And that's pretty much where I was for the next 13 years of local church ministries, a big church was a mega church and grew from probably about 2000 to 15,000 in those 13 years um, that I was working there. And just over time, my capacity grew and I was looking after more and more of the creative ministries in the church is very theatrical and lots of illustrations and productions, this kind of thing, wound up on the executive team. And then about 2013, I felt like it was time for a change. I'd married my husband, John, kind of in the middle of all of that. And his ministry is um, more of a traveling ministry. He does a lot of preaching and coaching also in ministry, uh, but more kind of to the global church than a local focus. And so even though I thought probably that I was always gonna wind up in a support role to my husband, I'd never wound up in a place where that was even an option for me. So um, it's always been kind of us doing independent ministry in our marriage um, over that time. 
So we did travel mostly together for four or five years and we're doing kind of coaching in different churches around the US and Canada and um, Australia and New Zealand. My, my husband's an Australian and um, did that for a while. I've been in this role here at City Church now uh, as executive pastor over ministries, not more the ministry side of things for maybe the last five years or so. And in that time, while I was traveling, I really felt like God was calling me into, um, into seminary and just kind of diving at a deeper level as my focus was shifting from creative ministries into more of the ministry side of things. I felt like I just needed to kind of upskill some things and was doing more teaching and training and coaching than I was music. And my undergrad work was all in music and piano performance. So uh, I went back to Fuller and got a master's in global leadership um, and kind of in the process of that did a lot of self-reflection. And I had always kind of been the young woman at a table full of men in my 20s as I was moving into executive roles in uh, our church's leadership structure. And I always felt like there were things I dealt with as a woman that it didn't seem like the guys were dealing with. And then as I was stepping back into this new role here at City Church in um, working with young millennial female leaders, they'd come sit down in my office and be like, why does it seem like the guys don't have to deal with this stuff? And just really wrestling with that. And it just seemed like there was just a total lack of resources specific to women leaders. And I felt called probably, I started blogging, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago for female leaders in particular, because it was just a gap, just a space that was just unaddressed. All the resources out there were by men, for men, thinking about male issues from male perspectives. And so um, I really felt a deep sense of call to dig in and understand the female leadership journey and outside the theological questions, because I'd always kind of grown up in these pretty egalitarian environments and where I would see women in significant leadership roles and it was kind of a given. Um, so I was a little surprised when I came into the academic world and realized, hey, most of these conversations are not about practical things. They're actually theological debates about whether women should or shouldn't be at the table of leadership in the church. And they haven't even got past that. And that's probably, you know, as the academic world focuses, so goes the resources that exist for, um, for leading in the church. And it's really is, is kind of a, the garden where ideas get cultivated and then worked out in practical ministry afterwards. So um, I felt really deeply called to do something. So coming up on three years ago now, I started a... Um, doctor of miss, missiology, specifically doing research into the development of female leaders in local churches, local egalitarian churches. And my goal was really to understand in places where women are flourishing, where women are thriving in ministry, where you see them at every level of the leadership pipeline, what is happening in those environments? Why is it working? And how can we take those principles and reproduce them in places that want to become have stronger women leaders rise up, or maybe they're making a theological shift, or maybe they're just feeling stuck and they really want to help empower um, their women in their church. And I feel pretty passionate about that as a whole. So that's kind of been 
the journey right now, I've got about a year and a half left to go on my program before I finish that up. And um, so, yeah, that's where I'm at. That's where I came from. It's so great. It's so great that you're doing it. It's it's uh, already what you're learning and what you're observing is such a gift to the church. And and I just know that the more you learn and the more you contribute, it's going to spur more of that on. And I just, I really am excited about the fruit that's going to come out of this and, and already has. So I have like a ton of questions for you, which you already know, <laughs> but I want to start with just let's, let's sort of describe um, some of the main challenges that you think women in the church are facing, especially when it comes to a long history of men being in the most senior positions. Like I'm thinking of those churches that are maybe newly egalitarian, at least for women having certain roles. We're not even going to probably address the issue about marriages, but just in the church, churches that are like, we want women leaders, we want to do this more, um, or even maybe complementarian churches that are like, here's our lid, and we want to figure out how to get women up to this lid. So when they get the women there, and then they haven't thought through all the other things, what are some of those challenges that you think women are, are facing? Yeah, that's such a good question. I feel like there have been, when it comes to the field of women and leadership, there's been this polarity that exists. That it's like either, either men and women are the same and we need to treat them exactly the same or men and women are different. And because they're different, they're suitable for different things. But I think this is a false dichotomy. I think what is really true is that um, it's some, some leadership experts free or frame it like this, that we're not opposite sexes, we're neighboring sexes. So we're more similar than we are different, but there are differences. There are, there are things that are different about our biology. There are things that are different about our experiences and they create differences for us. And so I think acknowledging that those differences might create um, different needs, different developmental needs is kind of an important first step. And that doesn't mean that women are less called or less suitable for these leadership roles that they feel called to or that they're gifted for. It just means that, that we might have to think a little bit differently about what their pathway is gonna look like. And so I think there are both inner issues that have to be um, addressed. There are inner learning issues that, that have to be shaped within us as females that are a little bit different from men. I think some of the hormonal things affect things in how we process that cultural dynamics affect the way we process things. Um, our experiences as a female, whether we're mothers, whether we're daughters, these kinds of dynamics affect how we process things. So there's inner work that has to be done that I think can be done in training settings, can be done in um, learning environments where we're able to really become self-aware about, okay, what are we gifted at? What are we called to do? And really developing confidence in some of those things. But then there's also environmental factors that have to come into play. There are certain dynamics that are important for, um, for, for women to be able to thrive in any kind of uh, leadership environment because they're, they're, they're balancing dynamics that men just don't have to deal with when it comes to to family and children and still bearing a lot of the responsibilities at home. And um, so I think that, that there's, there's a lot of different factors that we have to look at when we think about the challenges that women deal with in walking out their callings. Um, and historically too, I think it's pretty common 
where men tend to have a great network of relationships that they can draw on for, hey, here's some ideas, or I'm tackling this leadership problem. I just need an outside perspective. Men have a lot of relational resources to do that, and women don't tend to have that. I think that's a that is a significant a significant challenge. But one thing I think that becomes a lid is how we think about male-female relationships outside of a marriage relationship. So if I, if I encounter a lot of firm boundaries around how men and women are allowed to relate in my office culture and my church culture and my leadership culture, then what it can do is it can prevent relationships from being formed between men and women if, if that's a threat. And if men are the only people at the seat of power, if they're the decision makers in an environment, they're going to naturally lean on the relationships that they know. They're going to invite the people they know to the table. They're going to think, hey, we need someone to look after X, Y, or Z. Who would be a great candidate for that? And they rattle through their list of relationships of people who might be skilled or gifted for that. And they pull out a man because that is who they know. And so those kinds of boundary issues become really important to talk about because they can create a lid for relationships unless they're handled, unless they're handled well. And those relational lids then become leadership lids that are unintentional. Um, and it's not a, at that point, it's not because, hey, I'm not, I don't want a woman in this role or I'm not looking for a woman in this role. It's I don't know a woman who's qualified. Doesn't mean there aren't qualified women, just mean you don't know them. And so I think that becomes another really important piece of the conversation too. Yeah, certainly. Um, which does lead me to the question, and you and I have talked about this before, and I know you've done some great research on it, which is this rule that we often refer to as the Billy Graham rule. So if, for example, you know, for some miracle that lead pastor in the seat of power scrolls through his list of people and is very proactive and one of the good guys and he decides I'm going to bring a woman on because we need to grow you know women in leadership at our church and he picks this woman and she's the very first woman or maybe one of the first three you know um in this you know decision making table situation but when it comes to like going out to lunch or going out to coffee or hey let's go to this conference together there's a rule that says in a lot of churches that a man can't be alone with a woman. And so explain some things that that prohibits in terms of women leadership and what are some good alternatives for us? Yeah, it's such an important question because you do have, and I think what's been scary probably for a lot of men in leadership is you have these really high profile pastors who've had moral failures and you look at a man, uh, you know, there's a, there's a situation in my city, I'm not going to mention names, but a man who empowered women into leadership roles. And then now at the end of his ministry has um, all of these, these inappropriate things have been exposed that happened. And I think that terrifies male pastors who've never worked with women before. And it's like, oh gosh, am I gonna set up some kind of a vulnerability? I don't want that to be my legacy. And so I, under I understand that, that fear, but I think when fear drives decision-making, we actually are creating a foothold for the enemy to come in and create a problem there. It's like Job said, the thing I've feared most greatly has come upon me is I, I think the fear itself can create a vulnerability. And so um, I think looking at it across a spectrum, 
at one end, you've got the Billy Graham rule, right? I don't know anyone who's followed the Billy Graham rule who's ever had a moral failure. That's fair enough, right? Because typically they just don't have any relationships with women they're not married to. They're very, very guarded with women. And in those environments, it's pretty rare for you to see um, empowered women unless they're married to a very strong female leader who creates opportunities for women. And um, it, at that point, then his wife becomes, if she's not called to leadership, you're probably not gonna see women in, in significant leadership roles just because the dynamic we just talked about. And then on the other end of the spectrum, if you have no boundaries, if there's no conversations, you can set up problems of sin or abuse can happen in those situations. But I think there's kind of two middle grounds that are possible, a middle ground of clearly defined boundaries where, and, and I, I've seen someone simplify it down to as simple as like, hey, we need to have a rule of three. If there's going to be meetings, there's going to be three people in it, or you see rules around, hey, if we're going to have an office environment, we need to have glass and all the doors or open concept office spaces to create accountability, or we're not going to be alone together. Um, or maybe we're not going to let people see us be alone together. And um, I think that works okay. Uh, and that's probably, pr that's pretty common. But uh, sometimes some of the difficulties with that approach can be a either if I'm oversighting a, a man, and he's my responsibility to develop and I need to have a conversation, a corrective conversation with him, then inviting a third person into that conversation can potentially be kind of humiliating for that, for that, that individual. Um, so in those kinds of conversations, it can be hard to bring a third person in, or sometimes there can be competing boundaries. So if I have to be worried about both my proximity to a man because I don't wanna set up vulnerabilities um, and so we're not allowed to be alone together in the office, but no one else is in the office, but we need to meet. So we need to go out together into a public space. But then if two people see us together out in a public space meeting on our own, but in public, then they might think something keeps happening, then that, that could be a competing boundary that can also set up difficulties for a female leader who's just um, trying to get some things accomplished. Uh, but I think perhaps the best way that I've seen is really an emotionally intelligent way where you are looking at every individual uniquely and being self-aware about your own vulnerabilities and saying, hey, I think this person is an attractive person. I need to keep my guards up in this, in this relationship. I, I need to set boundaries around that. If, you know, if there's a, an 80 year old man who's old enough, you know, he's very grandfatherly and there's never gonna be anything that's gonna happen. I don't need the same kinds of boundaries around that. And some of that might be too creating boundaries around conversation topics. So instead of worrying about being alone in a room together, it's okay if we're alone in a room together, I'm not gonna start talking about the difficulties I'm having in my sex life and my marriage with this person. <laughs> right. And I'm gonna limit the topic of conversation to make sure that, um, it stays both appropriate or maybe even professional. So it's like, if we're gonna be alone together, we're not gonna just chit chat and shoot the breeze. We're gonna talk about the business at the hand and wait for a larger environment to be more casual together. So some of those kinds of approaches can, I think be more effective um, and they require spiritual maturity. They require open conversations on a team about, hey, here's the dangers that exist. We gotta be aware processing together as a team when there is moral failure about like, what, could, what do we not want? What do we want? Making sure that marriages are healthy 
and that we're structuring our teams in a way that marriages stay a priority, strong marriages stay a priority. Um, all those dynamics, I think, come to play in, in that kind of an approach. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's a healthy one. Brother and sisters working together. Yes, absolutely. I, um, as a female leader and as a woman who grew up with um, two brothers and had a, you know, lived in a culture where we weren't dealing with some of the things that the American church deals with along the lines of men and women. I've benefited from really great men relationships, like good guy friends um, throughout my life. And um, it's made me sad to be in the American church and realize how rare that is um, because it does contribute to many issues that you already mentioned. But one of the many that it, it does bring up is there are sometimes spaces that women are alone in a room with all men, mainly because of that particular thing, because women are seen often as a threat to a, um, a man failing in leadership. And, and it's seen as a risk to bring a woman on instead of um, the opposite, which is to foster healthy relationships like brothers and sisters. And so that leads me to my next question, which is around this concept of imposter syndrome. I know a lot of people are talking about it lately. And I think sometimes imposter syndrome can just be that lack of confidence that someone has insecurities for multiple reasons, but it could also just be the very sheer nature of the fact that you look around the room and you're the only one that looks like you, you're the only female, or you're one of three females in a room of 15 men. And so you just don't think you belong. And maybe you're also treated as a threat at times, or you know you don't get the casual hangout guy time on the golf course or whatever goes on. And so just imposter syndrome could just be that very nature of not, not feeling like you belong because you're treated that way. And also because internally you're thinking that about yourself. So talk to us a little bit about that and how you find ways to help women leaders do that. Yeah, I think that's such an important question um, because there are so many who are in that in that spot. Um, but I think fundamentally, the thing that probably pushes women through that is knowing that they know that they know that they're called to do what they're called to do. And sometimes women have to be willing to be pioneers in these things. And they, they become the tip of the spear that's gonna push through that initial resistance that makes it easier for the women who are coming behind them. And I think if they carry that heart of, um, I know this is hard. I know there is a, a, an element of sacrifice in all of this, but um, what's coming behind me is gonna be different than what I'm encountering. And I'm gonna make sure that it's different for the ones that are coming behind me. Um, but I think, you know, with everything, it's like loving first is always a great way to approach anything in the, in the body of Christ, right? Is even if the guys are a little unsure about how to engage and they think the question that you want to be asked is, how was your shopping trip this weekend? You know, <laughs> right. I think just loving them for who they are in, in spite of all of that and um, finding things to care about with them and going out of your way on an executive team to just make sure you see them as people first. Because um, sometimes I think our just intimidation factor can become a piece of it. But uh, I think that's why Paul spent so much time talking about familial relationships as viewing older men as fathers and viewing men as brothers. Like if this is my brother, then I don't have to feel awkward. I don't have to feel um, so formal in this relationship. I can 
I can build it like any other relationship is going to require investment of time. And um, I, I do think that requires um, a good bit of confidence in ourselves, And that's usually the biggest shortfall that we deal with inner inner our, our inner battle is confidence a lot of times and confidence is kind of that double-edged sword because a lot of times it makes us shrink back if we're not sure how we're going to be received we're not sure that success is on the other end we don't try we just think oh I'm not qualified or I'm not enough or I don't belong or I'm not going to be there so it can make us hold back but the thing that can actually help the most is pushing through that when we when we don't feel like we can doing it anyways and taking the risk and saying, okay, I know God has called me to this. I know that um, people need this so much that what I bring to this table is going to help our church be stronger. The, the, the perspectives I bring into leadership are going to help the women in our church have a voice. The perspectives that I bring into leadership are going to bring strength where these guys are weak because they need what I've got. Um, and pu pushing through that with, with just that calling and being willing to kind of take those steps to speak up, to take that, to take action and risk failure. And even when things don't go well, not walking away and going, oh, shoot, I'm a leadership failure. But instead of internalizing it going, okay, well, that was an unsuccessful approach I learned from. So I'm going to do this differently the next time. And externalizing failures becomes so important to us. And instead of taking it on, um, saying, okay, that was a learning opportunity. This is, a, what can I do differently the next time? And looking at it as an act, action instead, because then when you come to a point of success, then you can say, okay, this is, this is, I feel confident. I know how to do this. I have done this successfully. I've navigated these conversations successfully before. And that's where we find confidence, but it's, it's, kind of the lead up, I think that can be, that can be so challenging getting there, but it's counterintuitive is just because it, it, it's, it's, it feels like the answer is I'll just hang back until I'm ready. But actually the real answer is push through when you're not ready. That's the answer to, um, to building the confidence for some of those, those conversations. That's really good. Yeah. Just um, do the right thing. Cause you know, you're supposed to, but if it doesn't feel right. Um, I like that. That's, that's, that's really good. So right now I'd like for us to talk to the men that are listening. Um, because I know there's a lot of good guys that listen to this podcast, a lot of great guys that really want to help, but just don't walk in the shoes of a woman leader in the church, um, or a woman leader anywhere or a woman anywhere. <laughs> so what do you think are some of the things that men in the church often miss, um, when they're understanding how it can be such a different experience for women leading in the church? That's, that's a great question. I think a lot of times guys just are a little bit, I love, I love men, but sometimes they can just be a little bit oblivious. They just don't realize how different the experience is. And so I think stopping to listen and ask questions is a really great first step for a man who's never considered how they might help the women in their church. Um, I think so many of them look for somebody who is a sharp, qualified leader, who's emotionally intelligent, who can handle themselves. And they say, okay, that woman is, will be, that woman will work. Let's put her in. Um, let's, let's tag her for, for something. But if, if there's nobody like that, I think then you have to pause and think about that differently because 
I think what actually makes women thrive sometimes is when you believe in them before they are what you think they might become and validating women's leadership, cheering them on before they've earned the opportunity and saying, okay, well, this woman's not there yet, but I think she might get there. I, I, I recognize she's passionate. She feels called. She's still, uh, she's still green or she's still working on some things, but I'm going to validate her leadership publicly and say, hey, this woman deserves an opportunity. This woman, um, this woman has great skills. This woman has great potential. And uh, I'm going to give her a shot and I'm going to back her. I think that becomes so incredibly valuable for women when there's a culture of that where women are validated before they've earned the opportunity. And a lot of times, I think the studies say that that becomes kind of the difference between men and women. And historically, you look at um, the studies show women leaders are great. Sometimes they're better than men, right? But the question is, are they better than men because we just pick the exceptional women um, or they actually just make better leaders than men? And who knows the answer to that? But what they have found is that a lot of times men get picked based on their potential while women get picked based on what they are at that moment. Um, but I think giving women space to have to be picked on the basis of their potential and not just what they are can actually create the pipeline that we're looking for. And, um, you know, that means we've got to establish those clear relational parameters, intentionally build the relationships with women like we've talked about. Uh, but I think <clears throat> encouraging women, cheering them on becomes so important. Verbally validating women is so important. Yeah, I agree. And it's been, you know, really striking to me as I've sort of talked to different women leaders in the church and, and you know, have been around the church my whole life. And, you know, a lot of the, when I process back on stories of men in leadership, particularly male pastors, um, so many of the men I know have a story of when they were younger, maybe even teenagers, when some older male pastor figure or youth pastor, or maybe at a church camp, just saw the potential in them and sort of tapped their shoulder and said, you know, you have greatness in you, like you're going to lead. And they spoke life into them and they spoke leadership into them. And they, they were told to elevate their voice even before they really had one, or it was even formed. And it just, I don't know many women leaders that had that experience. In fact, a lot of women leaders I talked to had the opposite experience. If they, especially were in certain circles, if they saw that they were strong or they did have a voice and they were good at speaking, they were often told things that really shattered their confidence. Like, you know, you might want to be a little more quiet or you might not want to be so, you know, forthcoming. You might want to be a little more of a peacemaker. You might want to consider marrying a pastor or that kind of thing. And so whatever leadership was seen in them was pushed down. And I think um, sometimes that's an experience men are completely unaware of that women are being socialized with over and over again. So there's no question why imposter syndrome exists, right? Yeah. That's what you've been yeah. told. Yeah. Yeah. This is real. And I think in the most, the most successful environments that I've seen, a lot of times women have, women leaders have gotten that from a youth pastor early on if they grew up in a church environment. Um, but then there seems to be a gap, like once they exit youth ministry, who's, who's saying that next to them, um, as they navigate into a different environment, unless they're being, becoming a successor to that youth pastor and growing up kind of in that vein of student ministries, um, that 
that seems to be the only environment where that really happens. Interestingly though, there are a few, uh, some occasions where women have developed up in support roles like as an executive assistant and then been promoted out of that into a campus pastor role, something like that because they did work directly with a senior leader who said, hey, I see something in you beyond just administration. There's, and they've been in all those environments. They've been in all the leadership conversations for all that time onboarding, not just taking notes and making the coffee, but a lot more. Um, so I think looking for women's potential in unusual places can actually pay off big too. Yeah, that that's so good. And I think that for men who are seeing the assistants in the church who are doing the coordinating and the, the support roles and seeing the potential in them is uh, is a great place to start. I think that so stereotypically we've seen churches in the U.S. in particular where women do a lot of the grunt work and women are supporting the vision of men and men are creating the structures, they're creating the systems, they're creating the work-life balance and it's not, I mean it's certainly stacked against women who when they get married and have children like you mentioned it's not always feasible for them. But let's talk for a second about how men can really help and also what women bring to the table that men actually need in the church. That we're not just talking about including women, but we're talking about half of the image of God that's missing, half the church that's missing in the leadership. And so it's not just that men are helping women, it's that men need the help too. Because, you know, we see in Genesis where it's not good for man to be alone. This was never intended to be. So the seesaw totally <laughs> balanced on the men's side. And so, you know, almost absent on the women's side. So talk about that. Like, we're not just helping women here. We're helping the whole church when we do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, there are some sort of stereotypical things that women bring. Women are considered generally by studies to be a little bit more collaborative, to be um, a little more intuitive and people-oriented you know, kind of the softer side of leadership in that sense, um, which I think is, you know, sometimes true, but I don't, I don't know that that's across the board because I think every woman is unique. They have different personalities, they have different giftings, all of those kinds of things. And I think expecting that every woman is going to lead the same way is probably a little bit unreasonable because I think, I think God brings together teams that help each other, that fit each other. And sometimes you get a man who's more collaborative as more of a quote unquote feminine leadership style in a senior leader position. And maybe there are some women who have stronger, more dominant <clears throat> things in their personality that come around them. <clears throat> I think though, what's really important to, um, to recognize because every, every woman is called uniquely, right? Not every woman is called to be a leader. Not every not every woman is called to teach or preach. You know, everyone has specific and unique giftings that are God-designed giftings. But I think as pastors and leaders, we are called to recognize that in people as their budding leaders and draw that out and cultivate that because ultimately we want the kingdom of God to grow. And, you know, obviously we've been losing ground here in the U.S. for the last several decades. And, I think a big piece of that is probably because we've overlooked what God is doing in the lives of so many women for so long. And I'm 
pretty floored, I think, by my research to discover for centuries, you know, women have been the backbone of the church. They've been the backbone of prayer. As you said, they've been the backbone of service, doing the grunt work, doing the legwork of, uh, of ministry, while men have kind of led the direction of it. But what we see right now happening is a trend where actually, in terms of people who are becoming de-churched, women are becoming de-churched faster than men right now. This is the first time I think probably in recorded history that this is happening. Um, and I think there's a really specific reason for it because as women in our culture are stepping into uh, you know, the C-suite executive roles, they're entrepreneurs, they're in government. We have a woman vice president right now. Women are stepping into new things um, and they look for who's going to be my role model, uh, who's going to speak to the issues that are important to me as a woman. They're, they're looking to women to do that. And I think what I've noticed is fascinating to me in my own church is um, when, we, when it comes to issues that are hot topic issues in our church, issues like abortion, right? This is a big cultural hot button issue. But when my pastor goes to speak to it, I've had women in my church voice, hey, you shouldn't speak to that because you are a man. That should come from a woman. Speaking to that should come from a woman. And this is a cultural trend for us is whoever the issue touches is the person who should be addressing that. And there are significant female issues in our church and in our culture, our larger culture, that need female voices to be able to, to lead through in kingdom perspectives about these things. And, and help under, help understand because at the end of the day, this is kind of, this is the way our culture is forming. And I think we just have to be realistic a, a about that. Um, there, are, there are women's issues that need to be addressed. And not only that, but I think there are strengths that women bring to the table. You know? And obviously we, we talked a little bit about some of the moral failures of very public men. I, I don't know about you, but I've heard probably a lot more male moral failures and female moral failures happening. So I think there may be some strength that women can bring into areas of sexuality um, that can be, can bring, bring a, a complementary, a complement there and a, a wholeness and a health to the body of Christ in leadership in general um, that is so needed. And I think, you know, obviously men bring so many strengths to the table too. There's they're obvious, the strengths that they bring. And um, they've been bringing those so well for so many years. Uh, and so for me, it's not an issue of like, hey, men, take a step back, it's our turn. I think it's an issue of how can we move the gospel forward in our generation and not watch it go backwards again. And I think what God has put into women to, to specifically and uniquely talk to some of the, the cultures happening the dynamics happening in our culture are pretty special um, right now, as there are so many things swirling around, um, which are not necessarily part of your question, but <laughs> I think they're important for women to be able to, to minister and lead to. Yes, absolutely. I love your thinking on that. And I, I agree. It's grieved me to think about all the women leading the, leading the church. Um, and yet on one hand, I understand, you know, like I wrestle with a lot of things too. There's a lot of days that, um, you know, Christians drive me bonkers and I really am just holding on to Jesus, <laughs> but Jesus is so different and how he treated women. than I often see women being treated in the church and that, that grieves me. 
Um, so I, you know, I want to stay and I want to help and I want to lead and I want to, you know, be a voice for women. And I think that so many women out there are longing for that too, to be that, to hear that, to experience that. And it, it doesn't just benefit us as women. I think that our, you know, men, our brothers, our husbands, our fathers, our friends can benefit from hearing our perspective on abortion. And like you said, especially hot button issues that people have solidified in their mind, they've thought through all the nuances and they know everything about it. And it's, it's a life or death issue. So don't bother me with your opinion. When men's perspectives have been centered for so long, it's seen as the default, it's seen as the norm and every new perspective has to be juxtaposed against that particular one as if that's the original one. But I think just scrapping the whole conversation and starting from scratch and letting women be there from the starting from scratch. And let's start from the beginning and talk about this from a woman's perspective, which will be varied. As you said, women are all the same, especially on an issue like abortion. There's just no way we're all gonna see that exactly the same, but we're better when we hear better perspectives, different perspectives, we see the whole picture. Because if we are all made in God's image and God is good, that there's goodness in all of us that we have potential to bring out. And then there's different races around the world that express God's beauty in a different way. And certainly within different genders, we see that. And so it would make sense to me that we would want to have more voices into something instead of less. Um, which leads me to this question, you know, there's a lot of large egalitarian churches out there that hire women as pastors, but they don't really seem ready for a lot of those steps and a lot of it just along the lines of conversations that we didn't just hire a person to lead and do this work and implement a man's vision or maybe a group of five men's vision, but suddenly there's this woman there and we've hired her and she has opinions and they're different and she has a different perspective and what are some of those areas that churches are often they're not ready <laughs> for that particular part of it. What are some of the things you see there? Yeah, there's, I think there's a number of dynamics that are important to think through. So, and we've talked quite a bit about relationship building in a healthy way. And I think re-looking at that is really important. Like how are we gonna frame culturally male-female partnership, leadership partnership in our church with or without marriage involved? What, is that, what does that look like? We need to have that conversation with women at the table in the conversation. And I think, you know, even if you don't have any women yet, bring your wives into that conversation and really seeking to listen and hear is going to be an important piece of that, um, at, you know, as you're, as you're juggling. And I think you can't, when you're talking about something that is a, a culture shift, you can't underestimate how many people that's going to affect. And a lot of times when we look at change and we think, oh, we need more women leaders, plug and play. Here's a woman leader. Let's put them in. We don't realize, okay, this is not just a technical change. This is an adaptive change that's going to require everyone in our church to adapt. Um, because, you know, you may have, you may have people who are used to like, hey, if I need prayer from a pastor, it's going to be a man. And so if I'm going to go and, and the, the pastor who's available for prayer is a female, what does that look like? You know, how does that, how does that dynamic work for people? Or if men have been the decision makers, um, are, am I going to have people who want a decision who are then going to try to go around her because they don't think she really has power? Is that going to be part of it? So I think thinking through systematically, how is this going to affect our entire, our entire church is really, really important. And so it means that we can't just say, hey, um, we have a new hire, 
there she is, but we need to have conversations, I think, holistically with our, with our entire church, both addressing the theological questions in a public forum, teaching that, saying, hey, this is, this is why we believe what we believe about this is why we're empowering into, into this role, and talking about this is what this looks like practically, and creating opportunity for people to wrestle with that and work their way through that. I think it has to be high grace because when you're talking about change, you know, for that woman, she can't expect, hey, this is my position now. So everyone needs to just fall in line, but have grace for the significance of that change and, and be graceful with people when they do things like try to go around you because uh, they don't know what they don't know. And, but still firmly having those conversations and saying, hey, no, I really can't help you with that. Um, and, and working our way through that. Um, I, think, I think too, a, a big one that people don't think through, and this has been a point of frustration I hear from senior pastors is kind of the mom season. So if they hire a young woman, whether she's a young single woman or she's a newly married woman, she doesn't have children yet. And then um, you know, a couple of years pass down the, the road, she's, you know, she's passionate, she's gifted, she's called, and then she has children. And now the situation changes then what? And so there can be tensions if there's staff culture around, hey, we're all in the office from nine to five every day. And this is the way this, the, our workflow looks, or we're having meetings and um, they, they happen at this time in this location with these people. So there's some flexibility that may come into play uh, that you're going to have to seed into your culture and those conversations with the guys of like, hey, listen, we, we need what she's got. And so it may mean that we need to adapt around a school pickup schedule or a daycare schedule or whatever the, whatever the conversation is um, for whatever, she, whatever she's juggling or making space for, for, for digital interaction where we're gonna do some meetings on Zoom so she can be at home while her kid's napping or whatever the case may be. Um, but I think that needs to be an important piece of the conversation because I think women can lead through the mom season well if they're given the right space and the right parameters. It used to be true that women would just kind of dip out during mom season, but with the right supports, women can lead really well through the mom season. And that also may mean that you got to look at budget questions. You know, how do we, do we have something in our budget that supports daycare for um, staff members, especially if you have a man and a, a husband and wife, both on team, you know, churches don't tend to have great uh, salary packages as a whole. So if you want both of them, then maybe you need to look at providing some extra support around daycare as part of your, your budget on that um, to do that well. So I think that's, that's a piece of the conversation as you're looking at, as you're looking at bringing women into your staff pipelines. Um, this is, this is really important too. Um, so we go on and on and on. There's a lot of pieces of culture, I think, that wind up getting affected by these things. Yeah, there's so many things. And I think that that's, that can be a lot a shock for a lot of churches. They think the biggest step they took was just hiring her, getting her at the table. And that really is just step one of a million, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. what have we done? What are we doing? And the men may not even be noticing it, but she is, she's certainly feeling it. And so we do see a lot of situations where women get brought on to these, um, you know, church staffs, and then they just, they don't stay. It's too hard. It's so stacked against them. The systems aren't working for them. Like we mentioned earlier, it's, it's an environment created for men by men. And so if she's not allowed to be a part of helping change the system or speak into that, 
then it does get very, very challenging. And which leads me to this question. What if we look at um, this next year um, that we're just starting 2021, what do you think is at stake if we just literally do nothing to change what's happening with women leaders in the church? Gosh, that's a, it's a, it's a concerning one for me. And I don't want, you know, obviously I don't want to get into the political dynamics of the last year. Um, Cause I feel like Christians have been framed into a certain perspective by the world. And unfortunately we've gotten associated with some of the crazies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, um, I, I, my, I have a brother who's, you know, obviously he grew up in church with me, but he's kind of outside church right now. And um, he was talking to me about just some of the worries that he's encountered in his circles that uh, Christians would become violent extremists, you know, like ISIS or something like that. And for me, I listen to that and go like, what in the world? Of course not. Um, but this is, this is a real concern for people when they look at religious extremism and some of the violent events of you know, the last couple of months have <laughs> brought all these fears up to the fore in association. And um, so for me, that's concerning just culturally that <laughs> somehow we would be viewed as less moral than an unchristian un un environment. And just these cultural trends in general, I think when we don't, do something so fundamentally basic like empowering women and bringing women, viewing women as equal and um, giving space for women's voices. It's just like, it's like low hanging fruit. And when we're, we're, when we're denying that, I, I feel like we lose our place of influence in, in the greater culture. And as a result, we perpetuate the decline of the Western church. And, um, you know, there's arguments about how much we should um, be affected by culture, you know, how, how much we should contextualize versus be uh, of the world or in the world, but not of the world, you know, all these, all these debates. But I would argue that it doesn't matter where in the world you are, what culture you're a Christian in, you are affected by the culture that you're in and that all Christianity is contextualized in some way. And that it's our responsibility in each new generation to recontextualize the gospel for the next generation. And um, I think such an important part of contextualizing to American Christianity is giving people female voices and female leaders that they can look to, especially for our young women. Um, because if they don't look to us in the church, they're gonna look to women who are in business. They're gonna look to the feminists who you know, may or may not be espousing Christian values. They're gonna find female voices to listen to if we don't, if we don't create space for that. And my worry is always, you know, what is, what's coming up behind us? You know, what, what are we creating for the generations to come? Are we creating a stronger church? Are we creating a church that's more vulnerable? And um, I feel an urgency about 
making sure that the generations to come have a strong church, that they have a healthy church where men and women are working together in kingdom partnership and strength. And it looks like a lot of different cultures and colors and ethnicities and races. And it, um, it looks like heaven, you know, because I, I think that's ultimately what we're trying to build is, you know, heaven here on earth. So I think we got to, we got to reverse some of these trends. I'm in, I'm in so many of these like male dominated environments where they're like trying to figure out how do we fix these problems and how do we turn around the, uh, the decline in the American church. And obviously there are pockets of the church that are in major decline. Um, I, in my particular pocket, you know, I sit in kind of the charismatic Pentecostal world. We've seen a lot of growth and it's historically been a place where women leaders have had a voice and had a place to to lead, and I don't think that's accidental. I really don't. Um, some of the places, you know, like the Catholic Church, where you see significant decline, obviously women have no place. And so, on the Catholics, I, you know, I love the Catholics. There are so many great things out of the Catholic Church, um, but <laughs> we're blind if we ignore that you know, some of those, those dynamics and some of those trends. So sometimes I feel like we can't, we can't see the elephant that's in the room sometimes in these conversations. It's, the answer is simpler than we want it to be. Yes. Oh, that's so true. And it's, it's a good place to, to end our conversation, just thinking about this year and how we want it to be different and <clears throat> and not ignoring the writing on the wall, right? There's some things that are pretty obvious out there. And if we just pretend they're not happening. We do ourselves and the next generation, no favors. So I thank you so much, Anna, for your voice. You're so wise. You're so well-researched. You're so smart. Thank you for using your brain and your experience and just who you are. I think your voice is really important. And I look forward to all the things you're going to continue to learn and help the church in the days and months and weeks and years to come. So thank you for speaking to us today. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much for having me today, Lori. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you found Anna to be smart and insightful and inspiring as much as I did. Um, I just really loved how she talked about like in her 20s being the only woman at a table full of men and having to learn how to navigate that. And I think she's done it uh, quite well. And just in her master's in global leadership and now working on her doctorate in women leadership at Fuller Seminary. She really is digging even into the academic side and the research side, but she's been living it for a long time and navigating it quite well, I would say. And I think there's a lot we can learn from her. And, and I find in some of these, um, you know, tricky issues around women in the church and women in leadership in a lot of spaces, it really is so helpful to find um people who are, are, are navigating it themselves. And, um, and also to know that there really is good research out there that shows us what works and what the multifaceted approach really truly is to help women be able to lead with their God-given gifts and in all these different spaces. I mean, we certainly know that even in the, the corporate, the business world, there's some really excellent research out there related to how profitability increases with having women in leadership positions. And, you know, it just makes sense that when you have women at the decision-making table, that there would be broader reaching decisions and an organization that, you know, affects both women and men. 
we know that, you know, from working in microfinance overseas, that when women are given microfinance loans, the rate of payback is way higher and women tend to take care of not just themselves, but also their children and their families. And there is something uh, about that to bring that to the table that's just beneficial for all, all organizations. And and, you know, Anna's sort of digging into a lot of that. And, you know, I really appreciated her research on this Billy Graham rule, which um, really limits women in church spaces and in Christian nonprofit spaces of being in a leadership pipeline, being developed and helping, you know, women have the same opportunities as men to grow in the in the leadership of the organization. So She's helping us look through some different options through her research. If you want to know more, you can reach out to her and uh, read her papers that she's written um, based on this research. I'll put some of her links in the show notes. She's on Facebook. She's on LinkedIn. She's in a lot of different spaces. And of course, she's at City Church in Chicago as the executive pastor. So you can also look for her there. Next week, I'm so excited, you guys. <laughs> I really, I hope, I know that you those of you who know who my next week's guests are are going to be just as excited as me. And if you don't know who these two individuals are, I am super excited to introduce you to Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. Scott has been teaching at seminary and Northern Seminary. Uh, he's been teaching for 40 years. Um, he teaches New Testament but he's written a ton of books that uh, my husband and I and many of our friends just devour and talk about. And he's an incredible thought leader. He blogs at Jesus Creed and um, he's on Twitter and, you know, just really digging into a lot of conversations that are very relevant in our day. But he and his daughter, Laura, have written a book called A Church Called Tove. And Tove is a Hebrew word that means, you know, it means goodness, but it means a lot of other things that we long to see and community, especially faith communities. And so he's going to talk about that, he and Laura, and they've done a lot of research on churches that have had very difficult um, experiences uh, in recent years. And they'll talk about their experience at Willow Creek in Chicago, but also other you know, spaces like in the Southern Baptist Convention where there's been some some difficult abuse allegations that have surfaced in recent years. And Really, just a lot of the stuff that's happened, I would say, in the in the church hashtag Church Two movement. Um, but in, in in that space, they want to address not just what has gone wrong and helping us understand toxic uh, church spaces and spiritual abuse and that sort of thing, but also what it can look like to be tove, to be good, and to create goodness cultures and to be very proactive. And they give examples of people who've actually handled abuse cases and done it the right way and been very open. So it'll be a difficult conversation, but there's also some hope there in the book. And I do encourage you to read, to look for their book, A Church Called Tove by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger, and maybe read up on that before next week's podcast. I think I've probably underlined every single page in the book and maybe multiple places on most pages. <laughs> it's just... It's uh, it's really good for those of us who who love the church, however that looks, whether it's in a building online or in a house or, you know, on a street corner, whatever church and faith community looks like for you right now. Um, I think you will find this book, A Church Called Tove, extremely helpful in a conversation that 
we no longer need to stick our head in the sand over. So I'm really grateful to Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. And it was just an incredible interview. I can't wait to share it with you. Coming up in the rest of this series, we have some more incredible guests that I've already interviewed and I'm editing the, the podcast for you to release. And I can't wait for you to hear them. We have Graham Hill, my good friend in Australia, who um, I interview about his book, Holding Up Half the Sky, about women in the church. And we have Diane Lingberg coming on the show. She has dedicated her life to helping uh, church uh, abuse survivors and church clergy and just dealing with a lot of issues around power dynamics in the church. She's like just the absolute expert in a lot of these areas. So she's going to be coming on the show. We're going to also have Tara Beth Leach, who has released her new book, Radiant Church, and um, just several other guests that are working and trying to make a difference in the space about women in the church, including April Diaz, who's a life coach in California and spent many years also in uh, working in the church. So you're going to just really enjoy so many of these interviews, I know, because these are truly thought leaders right now helping us have some really important conversations. And I find it fascinating, a lot of the books being released right now, kind of centering around a particular theme of just refining us as a community and helping us get better, helping us be more authentic and you know, pressing into vulnerabilities, a lot of spaces we would rather not talk about. But uh, I think this issue of women in the church, it's multifaceted. So we need a lot of voices. We need a lot of people from different perspectives speaking into how we can really position half the church to release their God-given gifts into our community and and use some principles even from uh, what we're learning in the business world from diversity and inclusion and equity and belonging and uh, those are certainly principles that we learn as people of faith and we should be doing better at. So this is me, the Enneagram 8, challenging all of us, including myself, to just uh, not settle, not settle, not settle for this at all. And 2021 to be a year where we really push forward in preparing the way for our sons and daughters mm-hmm. to inherit faith communities that are diverse and inclusive and full of equity and belonging for everyone so that all of our gifts are unleashed and we can all flourish together. So stay tuned for these upcoming episodes by these amazing thought leaders. I really am so blessed to be hosting this podcast and getting to talk to these incredible people and I hope you're enjoying it too. Let me know if you have any feedback or people you'd like to be on the podcast and uh, you can reach out to me on Instagram or on Facebook at our A World of Difference page spaces. And I'll put those links in the show notes for you to find. All right, everyone. Have a great week. Bye. As we're finishing this episode, if you're thinking, I really wish I could learn more or go a little bit deeper. Well, that's what our Difference Maker community is for. I would love to welcome you in to join the rest of us there. Once again, um, it's only $5 a month to join the price of a latte at your local coffee shop. You can join at our changers tier. Difference Makers is a community that really means so much to me. It's very special because each time I have a guest on the show, I record something um, outside of what we give to just the regular podcast audience where we go a little bit deeper and then I post those video episodes in this community and we can discuss them. But also at the very... uh, 
beginning tier, which is our changers tier of this community, you'll get exclusive voting power and help pick podcast topics that give us, you know, more of what we want from your perspective. You'll have access to exclusive um, 30 plus mini sods that aren't out there for the general public. And you'll get every month an exclusive monthly bonus mini sode. At our groundbreakers level, which is $10 a month, you can join and get all of that, but also priority access to submit questions to the podcast. And you'll get an additional two exclusive monthly bonus mini sodes. And at our Trailblazers tier, which is $15 a month, the price of three lattes a month, um, you can get all of that plus also three exclusive monthly bonus minisodes um, and a patron shout out. So I would love for you to join us at any of those tiers. Um, it'll help you come into this community, be in the midst of all of us, other difference makers, and we'd love to hear your perspective. I certainly would. It's a place to engage more with me and the audience around what you like, what you're resonating with, and once again, go deeper with each of our guests. So please join us in this membership community. I would love to hear your perspective and love to share this extra content with you. So show up at patreon.com slash a world of difference. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.